This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the Harrison Sandown Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. 100 to go. A leaf and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cracking the Code. Simone, good morning to you. Have you got your Kleenexes there? Uh, good morning, Dan. <laughs> Gee, they didn't let me get away with that one last week, did they? <laughs> oh, fantastic story last week. I must admit, every time I look at you, we've had a few episodes now. We need Kleenex as a sponsor because we've brought tears uh, a few times. And once I see you going, I get going. As I've got older, I think I've got more and more emotional. But I, I found out we weren't the only ones last week that... Uh, our eyes welled up and uh, and tears perhaps were falling down cheeks. What a beautiful story with Cody's wish and Cody Dorman last week after that uh, Breeders' Cup. Oh, it was a beautiful story and I think those stories that we... It really bridges the gap between just the public and the racing fraternity, doesn't it? It gives someone something in common that they can... Yeah, grab something from because they're, they're beautiful stories. They really are tragic but beautiful at the same yeah, time. Yeah, with a very positive outcome in the end. We heard the uh, Melbourne Cup finish there and it was won by a horse called Gold Trip, of course. And uh, speaking of Gold Trips, just back from a Gold Trip in Bali is uh, part of our trio here is Matt Stewart, who's great to have back. And it's his um, uh, virginal experience on a Saturday morning for cracking the codes, Matt. How are you? <laughs> well, this at this time on a Saturday morning, perhaps. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I heard you were in tears last week and I fully understand, but I'm back now, guys. It's, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, I had a lovely trip over to Bali and... Uh, it was actually really weird because it was uh, still very post-COVID, very apocalyptic sort of resorts, five-star resort villas that were overgrown with jungle and stuff. So it was quite like the first people that went back into Hiroshima. So it was quite weird. But uh, <laughs> uh, I managed to get myself an ear infection, which I'm on top of. But I did find the Winx Bar in Seminyak. And yeah, I, tell us about that. Well, I was hooning around on my little scooter and... Uh, Came around a bend and I saw this big orange sign with a horse that looked like a zebra, the same colour as a zebra, sort of rearing up. And it was looked a bit closer and it was the Winx Sports Bar. So I texted it to Chris Waller and I said, are you aware of this? He goes, no. He said, I hope you've had 20 beers there. So I had to, I found that as a, a bit, sort of an instruction from Mr. Waller. So then I had uh, 20 beers there. And uh, yeah, so it's some just some fan, some, I, I would imagine an Aussie expat. Winx lover has decided to name his bar after Winx. So. Probably a bit of an upgrade from the Nags Head, one of the ones around yeah. London. Some of those, <laughs> some of those funny names that you you come across um, around around the UK. So the Winx bar certainly a. A level up. Well, I know. I've got, had this long harboured dream of having a street or a lake named after me one day or a bar, but Winx got there before me. There'll be a Dan Malecki bar one day. Well, there is the horse Malecki. Yeah. <laughs> there'll be a Simone well, Avenue there, there down there, Point Cook. There was actually a horse called Lady Simone racing at Morfordville the mm. other day. Now, I won't take credit that it was named after me, but... It's nice it to have my have name. Been. Nice to have my name out there every now and again. Seeing yeah. as we've got Malecki. No, exactly. Yeah, um, no, yeah. he's he's got across three codes. I think he's had animals named after him. Hey, <laughs> big day today at Ballarat with the Cup and weather watch too, uh, with uh, a little bit of volatility in the skies. So we're gonna have a chat to Belinda Glass, the CEO, at some stage this morning. Uh, and get an update on just how close that weather is. That might be a little bit later in the morning when we have a chat to her, Dan, but uh, just to see how close the uh, the storms are. Last I spoke to her, it was going to be about 6.30 tonight, so they thought they might get the, the races underway, but it's one of those weird days 
where you don't know whether to do the good track form or the heavy eight form because you yeah. don't really know when the storm's going to hit. So. We've had that a few times through the course of the spring. It, it, uh, it's almost like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Looking at a track that's rated or potentially could be a good track that could end up a heavy nine. It make, puts it into the too hard basket, I think. Um, but anyway, weather watch absolutely for that meeting. Railway stakes in Perth. It's an iconic race day. And to use the word iconic, you know, it means there's it's unique. It stands out. But to me, very much that, that WA Carnival over the last 30 years has been about the railway stakes. Um, and um, we've had some great horses that have won that race over the years. It's a bit more open uh, this year. But it is. It's a huge day for, for Perth Racing and their carnival is right into full swing now. Remember we had a little giggle about the naming of the freeway stakes at Mooney Valley That's where they right. just went, oh, yeah, we'll call it after the thing that they've just... I imagine the railway stakes, the origin is probably something about the the arrival of the railway across to Western Australia, unless I'm sorely mistaken. Well, you'd think that's a good possibility, but I think it was last year we unearthed a furphy. And when I say furphy, I think it's got dual meanings nowadays, but to me, furphy means an, an untruth or a rumour that is not quite true. It's got mayo on it. Um, and we were referring to the Carbine Club stakes. And our guest that we had on at the time referred to the you know, 1889 carbine uh, railway stakes winner in Carbine. And it made us think, Surely it can't be the same carbine. So while we're on air, we're doing some research and realise there's no way carbine would have carried six stone twelve two <laughs> years after winning a Melbourne Cup. So the, on the, the basis carbine. of their of their carbine club was based on this other carbine and not the carbine that we know and revere today. Well, the railway stakes. I've just Mr. Google's helping. First run in 1887. And was won by Sir Walter. It was named after the opening of the Fremantle to Midland Rail Line. There you go. Well, there you go. I thought it might have been more the Melbourne to, to Perth, mm. but uh, I knew there had to be some connection. But but the reason I think Dan White's, in inverted commas, iconic is we love a big... I, I know it's changed over the years and the conditions, but in Australia we love a big mile handicap. And that's yep. what we have with the Epsom, the Emirates, the Doncaster. And well, the Emirates is not... Uh, a handicap not, anymore? Not anymore, but um, but I think the the history is that we yep. do love a big mile race, don't we? And uh, the list of winners, like, and there's one that we're going to touch yep. on a little bit later on, is probably the best ever. So, even the, the most gangly ever as well. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll um, we'll tease a little bit with a replay of one of the most famous winners of the railway stakes a little on, and we might even do it during the course of this show, cracking the codes this morning. So that's the, the thoroughbred content. It's Breeders' Crown in, in the harness. Um, it, it's a huge night. The racing last week in the semifinals was just fantastic. There were so many highlights. We had Kate Gathorn in the morning and cracking the codes, and, of course, she partnered Tough Tilly. On the back of the story with uh, Cody's Wish, we had Kate on, just come back from New York to run in the New York Marathon. She did a fine job. How'd she go? Yeah, excellent. She, she passed people and ran quicker times than she thought she would. Qualified for the... Uh, uh, Boston Marathon, and she's also uh, she's also representing um, EB, of which the connection with Tough Telly. Tough Telly won the last race last week by a nose. The Lost Storm broke the track record for a lead time, and then we had the superstars in between, like a Captain Ravishing and in Cypher. So it was an awesome night. So they were the semifinals. So the the grand finals are tonight. There's eight Group Ones, and Kate raised over fifteen thousand US in her run and had a blowout did a toenail and a few other things as well she's a legend as well, well. I was showing my brother on her behalf her time during the week and he's done marathons fitness fanatic all of that and he was wow 
gee, she kept up her mile rate really well. And I said, well, you know, this is her rundown of during the race, how she hit the wall, really struggled and mentally had to push through. And he, he was in awe of her not being a professional runner or only doing her second marathon. So um, absolutely remarkable achievement there from Kate. Especially given New York is probably the hardest part of the world for us to get to without getting severe jet lag. And I know she had a few days, so to do it off the back of jet lag, quite amazing. So we've got mm. two really nice big guests as well this morning. Dan, uh, obviously there's a harness theme as well and this amazing story of the the odyssey of these, the, the what do we call them, the King Island Seven that uh, headed off from Port Welshpool at 2pm, I think, on Thursday. And I, they made it across Bass Strait and there's a, a big story here with uh, the kind of the the rescue mission to save racing on King Island and someone who's been absolutely central to that is uh, Henry Dwyer who's going to downplay his role Simone but he's been amazing and you wouldn't believe the reach of uh, this concept and even the social media interaction and so on so we're going to have a chat to Henry Dwyer about what the hell I'm talking about in the King Island 7. Yeah, and in the Greyhound world tonight, it's a huge night, heats night. There are eight Melbourne Cup heats, but also four heats of the Bold Trees. That's right. One of the biggest nights of racing that hasn't got a Group 1 final on the racing, the Greyhound racing calendar. And like you mentioned, Dan, eight heats means sudden death. There's only eight Greyhounds that go into the final next week and the two fastest seconds are the reserves. So looking forward to that, but also the Bold Trees um, for the stayers. So... Uh, we'll have a little package a bit later on, Bold Trees. I think he's sort of been lost a little bit in this. We know that this is about the Sprinters and the Melbourne Cup, but the fact that you've got a, a greyhound with a race named after him and he won four Sandown Cups, we talk about him four. at that he four. Did a winks. And he was actually is he winks in the fifth for the Gallops well. listeners, Simone? He's, is he winks? Oh, absolutely. His racing just, style. Maccabi Diva won three Melbourne Cups, didn't she? Yeah. So he's mm. won four Sandown Cups. And would which, always get um, back to last. Had no yeah. speed. He'd, he'd almost be guaranteed with a lap to go, be a clear last. So he's quite remarkable. The ground that he could make. I saw him make up, I reckon, 20 lengths in the last lap to win one of those Sandown well, Cups. In fact, tw- most of them were, were like Groundhog Day, weren't <laughs> they? They were very similar. 20 if- lengths down the home straight. He was he was remarkable. So we'll have a little package on him later. Um, also with the election coming up, John Hutchison is just going to tap in quickly just to give us a bit of an update on the Companions and Pets Party that um, obviously All has racing. the big racing. elections on this week. Obviously, has racing mm. at its um, as a priority. So, um, if you haven't heard the ads on RSN, you haven't been listening much this week because it's been been quite a few. But we'll touch with touching with John shortly as well. Uh, Breeders' Crown tonight, and a, a man that's got a, a big role to play in adding to his list of Breeders' Crown winners is trainer David Miles, who joins us. Dave, thanks, mate, for uh, coming on to talk about your past successes in the Breeders' Crown and the potential of another one tonight. How are you? Morning, Dan, Maddie, Simone. Uh, uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me on and uh, brought back memories listening about bold trees because if anybody asked me, is there a dog that I remember, he'd be the, the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I don't think you can forget his racing style. Um, we're going back to 19... We're talking about more than 30 years ago. That's the frightening part of it, Dave. Is it, Dave, if you were to build one greyhound statue, is it so one harness statue, it's probably Paleface Adios? Well, there's already there's one already built, one so there has well. to be another See, one. Go. Job's yeah. done so already. If you could only build one and you had to commemorate the greatest horse ever. So I think you've got Farlap. I think you have got Bold Trees, haven't you? And maybe Fernando Bale. Mm. A sprinter and a stayer. One statue. Make up your mind. Bold Trees. 
There's a statue in Kilmore of Poppy, and I would have thought yeah, Poppy would have been the one. Yeah, yeah. A statue of him in Kilmore. Poppy or a Pro Chevalier would go pretty close too. I think we could come up with a few. There might be one built for Rockin' with Attitude, the way uh, she's going at the moment, uh, Dave. Um, uh, that's your runner tonight in the two-year-old Phillies uh, Breeders' Crown. So we might just touch on her first and where she's come from and the team that's involved. But she sort of flies in under the radar, but she's very much on that radar now because she'll probably run favourite tonight. Yeah, which is which is great. The, the barrier draws have fallen our way, but, um, you know, uh, the, the barrier draws always look good on paper, but unfortunately they run around a trotting track, so it'll uh, it could change. But... She's uh, she's been competitive, uh, ultra competitive with the best cotton fillies in the state this season, and uh, the barrier draw looks to have fallen her way, and she'll be in front for a long way, and hopefully she'll be in front on the line. Tell us about Jaden Barker. He's built up an association with uh, with Rock and with Attitude, and every time that Rock and with Attitude's been able to win, and she's only lightly raced. There's all these other two-year-old fillies, but there's a throng of people. There's both family and owners, and um, it's a delight to listen to the, the group that's been involved in the celebrations as she's been winning. So uh, Jaden's uh, got an in- integral role with, uh, with you, but also with this filly, because you as a past two-time Australian driving champion are uh, w- watching, sitting in the stands. Geez, we're, we're delving back into the archives now, aren't we, Dan? Um, yeah, uh, no, it's a, it's a legacy of what Mark Hoare and Harness Racing Victoria created with Racer Pacer. Uh, it was the syn- uh, syndicate run by the uh, Harness Racing Victoria, and Mark was integral with that. Uh, we bought a little filly um, off Stuart Watt uh, a lot of years ago called uh, Rock and Shiraz, who originally we bought as a pacer, but we had to convert her to a trotter, and she won five or six races as a trotter, was a handy little mare. Um, and then the syndicate as a group, most of them stayed in and decided to breed from her, and this is the first foal. So um, it's always hard when hobbyists go into the breeding game. It's a long, slow process, but these people have been rewarded very quickly. David, what is it about trotters that um, they're almost looked down upon? I personally love watching the trotters because it's a little bit more natural, Um there's, are they sort of making a bit of a comeback? I know there's been some changes mentioned in the week to the trotters. Um, An additional heat. So there's three that, rounds yeah. of uh, heats, be... but three heats on each night now for the trotters. That was just announced this week. And so... really well received. Was yep. getting some really good feedback. Is it something for us that haven't been involved with harness racing that trotters were looked down upon and now all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of round and good ones like yours that there's a need to sort of, um, you know, nurture them a bit more? Yeah, well, to compare it to the thoroughbred world, Simone, it's probably a little bit like the jumpers. You know, they're, they're just not as many of them. There used to be as many of them. But the Duncan McPherson, who was Elder Baron Park, probably had a, a major part to play in realising that Europe is all trotters. There's no paces in Europe. So um, where America's uh, probably 60% paces, Canada's the same. Here in Australia, it was always probably 90% paces, 10% trotters. But... I can tell you right now that those figures have changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Uh, and I, I don't know the figures exactly, but it feels like it's getting towards 60-40. Um, the money's great. Uh, a smaller pool of horses, so if you're actually training a trotter, you probably don't have as much competition just as yet. But going forward and looking at the yearling sale results over the last couple of years... Um, the trotters are going to be very much equal to the paces, I would say, in five to ten years. I guess the prize money offering for both disciplines has got to sort of be a bit 
equal as well to, to justify paying sort of near sort of pacing prices for trotters as well. One thing I, that has been consigned to history is the stand start almost, isn't it? Like they're just not – the less you do, the less educated the horses are and the less the horsemen know about how to prepare for stand start. So it's sort of a, a bit of a chicken in the egg. Are we, gonna, are, we, are we sort of phasing out stand starts almost altogether, Dave? Oh, to my chagrin, I think we are. The punters just don't seem to like it. it it's it, it's fantastic because it throws up that element of risk and, as you say, a, a well-educated horse uh, with a, a driver that's really switched on um, can really get an advantage. But, unfortunately, Joe Blow in the pub, who sees his horse not get a not get a go right from the, the, the start, um, they they just don't seem to like him. And, and the, the board and the, the hierarchy seem to be going down that way. As an old-time horseman, I'd love to see them return because it was, uh, it was, it's a, it's a lost skill. Um, but the trotters still seem to throw them around a little bit more than the paces, um, and uh, I don't think they'll be completely phased out. And I'd love to see a Hunter Cup go back to a stand start. It, it would be great, but um, unfortunately, the 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 punning dollar seems to rule our our world at times. Yeah, but it makes it same same. Tends, tends to make things a bit boring as well. So you do need to roll the dice with a point of difference. And I remember that Hunter Cup where Christian Cullen galloped twice and still almost won. So it yeah. does throw up that exciting what may happen element. Well, tell us a bit more about this. And Dan, as well, the, the Breeders' Crown, for, for, for the listeners who are not akin to these uh, these um, uh, these things in harness racing, tell us about the Breeders' Crown, what the origin of it and, and what it means to Victorian racing. Well, it hasn't been around a long time, Dave, has it? It was, And you were very much a part of it. That's where you got your success in those early days. Manifold Bay, David, was associated with. Even to this day, I still think he was the most spruiked debutant I've ever come across. And he turned out a multiple Group 1 winner and a great horse. But I think it was the late 1990s that the two-year-olds started and then the three-year-olds and the four-year-olds followed uh, shortly after that, Dave. But it was a great period for you when the Breeders' Crown kicked off. Yeah, it was. You know, we had we had the success. We I think the inaugural one we won a consolation um, with a with a little filly called Gigahertz, which was run at Bendigo, and the Bendigo Club were integral in getting this up and going, and and uh, the legacy has just continued. Um, but those early days at Bendigo, oh, the, the crowds that we used to get there were, were fantastic. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to have quite a bit of success with. Uh, you know, I think we've won five now in, in total. Um, and it, and they're not hard. To, they're not uh, not easy to win. They're, they're, they're hard races. It's the, the cream of the crop. You get horses from all over Australasia, so it's not just uh, your, your your state bred horses. They're like winning derbies and oaks to win a Breeders' Crown. So tonight will be no different, um, and uh, it'll be a great night. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like the weather gods are, are in our favour at the moment. But um, um, really hope to see a big crowd out there, and uh, it'll be. Uh, it's great to perform under under those circumstances. You mentioned the weather and uh, the forecast, and we're expecting that it's going to turn a little bit ugly. But tell us about how difficult it's been as a as a trainer, uh, particularly around your way. In fact, all the way through the state, I'm sure you represent all of harness racing and the difficulty of just keeping horses fit with uh, such wet uh, tracks about. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a very very hard hard year. It's. Uh, the logistics of, of keeping horses' feet dry, uh, keeping their bodies um, intact, uh, keeping our tracks going, you know, it's uh, it's been quite hard and, and no different than thoroughbred world, I'm sure. But uh, for us that have our own tracks mainly and we have to prepare them and 
be able to get machinery on them in this wet weather and even have tracks to work on because there's been uh, we've been very lucky here we, my track drains excellent but I know there's a lot of trainers around the state and I really feel for them that they get up every morning and they have to go and spend three or four hours work on a track just to be able to go and jog their horses so um, it's uh, it's going to be hard going forward you know the uh, not only with that, with the price of horse feed, it's going to go up hay because the farmers are struggling to, to get onto the wet ground. It's uh, it's going to play a, a very interesting part in the next six to 12 months. Yeah, it's been the same for the greyhounds too, David. Um, everyone's yards have been underwater and we've got undercover yards with fake grass in them and it's been terrible. We've had to go and make other yards out on real grass um, without being undercover just to try and stop some of the... The mess. It, it's really in yep. dogs just standing in water up to their ankles, and if dogs have ankles, <laughs> fetlocks if it's a horse. <laughs> but even just horses. I know my horses have had more rug changes in the last month, I think, than what I've changed my clothes. It's been does, it's been terrible going out there knee it, deep in mud and trying to change rugs. Does it lead to sort of abscesses and stuff? I remember talking to a couple of the big the big gallops trainers, Richard Friedman and a few others up in the. Uh, when that, all the big wet really set in and the horses are just sort of lolling around in sort of muddy, mm. sort of ankle-deep water. Greasy heel. Da- yeah, yeah David, you, does it become a medical issue, the, the big wet? 100%, 100%, Matty, yeah. As you say, foot abscesses because the feet are so soft and wet all the time. And then what we found when we had those two hot days where the track went quite solid, their feet had been so soft for so long. The first couple of days we worked them on the on a track that, that didn't have any give in it. They were all getting very foot sore, so... It's um, you know it's, it's no no different to us having uh, and, and as uh, Dan said the greasy heel which is just like horse tinea from their feet not drying out so um, it's no different to us having wet socks on all the time and then you know expecting to go and run on a hard surface it's uh, the it's 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 quite a job to keep them sound but uh, you know I'm pretty lucky here with my team that we've uh, we've been able to stay on top of it we haven't had too many mishaps and. Especially when you're leading in the big nights tonight, it's uh, you've got to be on your medal. Uh, good luck with Rockin' with Attitude. Race two, number two, currently the two dollar thirty favourite, uh, Dave. And if you uh, put on the the list to put into your racing bag tonight, a can of Mortine, because the population of mosquitoes in Melton has never been bigger. And they nearly picked me up and carried me away last night. So yeah, they're very friendly and uh, they love us. But I can tell you, they won't uh, they won't keep this throng of owners away that are. They're involved in this filly. There's about 20 of them, and uh, and you will hear them from uh, from the studio in there if, uh, if if she happens to win. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's they've presented a great scene. So uh, good luck to to Jaden Barker. Jaden works on track with Simone occasionally. You'd know yeah. Jaden, wouldn't yeah, you, I Simone? Yeah, I know Jaden, and I know he's pretty excited about tonight. Yeah, and his family as well. So good luck with the whole team tonight, Dave. Thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. Good as gold, guys. Thank you very much. That yeah, is an extraordinary story about the the ongoing effect of the big wet. And yep. in New South Wales, it goes back to about August la- last year, not this year, last year, and all through the Hunter Valley, all through Victoria, and the effect it's having on horses' feet and the ongoing medical issues and the abscesses and the horse tinea and so on. And then there's more coming. So who knows in 12 months' time what the medical bill will be for these horses with these unexpected problems. Yeah, uh, well, the the owners will be finding out. And greyhounds. In their bills. Oh, but fake grass. More, yeah, instant, more excuses. Oh, yeah, fake grass under the yeah. empty. Yeah, it just stops a lot of dirt. and Yeah. Anyway, that's how we do it.
Learn something new every day, don't we, Matt? Um, we're going to take a break. Uh, on the other side of the break, we've got a beautiful package with bold trees, and we're also going to speak with uh, John Hutchison. It's a Breeders' Crown Finals night. There are eight Group 1s on the 10-event card. One of the greatest winners, a horse that we know as a Hunter Cup winner and a three-time Miracle Mile winner. As a two-year-old, he won the Breeders' Crown, King of Swing. King of Swing in front, poster boy hooked out. Sicario winds up, then Tam Major, and Colt 31 as Master Moonlight gives ground. King of Swing led poster boys alongside. Then Sicario, Colt 31 and Tam Major. King of Swing and poster boy. King of Swing just in front. Poster boy ahead away. It's King of Swing from poster boy. King of Swing kicks on. King of Swing. King of Swing beat poster boy. Colt 31 third. Sicario fourth. And then Tam Major again. This is RSN cracking the codes. As we mentioned earlier, it's Melbourne Cup heats tonight at Sandown, but also four heats of the Bold Trees to be run over the 715 metres for the stayers. And who can forget Bold Trees? I've got a beautiful little package now that we'll take a listen to. Well, Victorian stayer Bold Trees continues to dominate the world of greyhound racing. Last night in Sydney, Bold Trees again came from behind to score his 29th win from just 45 starts and take his stake earnings to over $60,000. Well, during the week, I had the pleasure of meeting up with the champ they call the Wonder Dog. Before we meet Boltrice, let's watch him winning his second successive Sandown Cup from box seven with a run that had to be seen to be believed. Racing lids go up and they're off and running at high intensity. Flew the boxes. Led on settling down by a length or so. Going around them, Galaxy Spirit. Galaxy Spirit on the outside going to take the lead. Running into the first turn, Galaxy Spirit by three. High intensity second. They were followed by Natter's Dad. Further back on the field is Red Trout over on the inside. Bomber's Kid. They were followed by Nathan's Girl, Eskimo Chavot. And Bold Trees checked at the tail of the field. Going down the back and Galaxy Spirit the leader. High intensity going out after it on the outside. Ten lengths away there. Nana's Dad, Red Shroud. They were followed by Boltree, second and third last. Up the back straight, it's Galaxy Spirit, the leader. High intensity on the outside. Boltree, eight lengths away, flying home. High intensity, Galaxy Spirit, Boltree. Oh, what a run again! He had no hope whatsoever to go with 200 metres to go. It had been 20 lengths off the leader. And uh, as they turned for home, he was still 10 lengths away. And he's got up and one by two. And uh, Ron Horsfall, the broadcaster, and a few of them said that they've never seen anything like it. Alan, back to one of, as one of the proud owners, I mean, did you think exactly the same thing? Take us through your thoughts of the race. Um, it was really only halfway down the straight, probably 50 yards from the line that I thought he had a chance. Up until then, he had no hope, like on the home turn and down the back, he just wasn't in the race. He wasn't going to run a place, I didn't think, and uh, I thought if he can hap happen to get up and run a third, might get cover the expenses, but um, halfway down the straight, he just seemed to grow another leg and as if the others were nailed to the fence and he got up one by two lengths. The McCullough family from the Victorian Western District town of Warrnambool are justifiably proud of their champ that Sydney siders now simply call the Wonder Dog. Trainer Norm McCulloch picked Bold Trees when only six weeks old from a litter in Melbourne. And the reason he picked that pup is because he was the biggest of the litter. Now, 45 starts later and more than $50,000 prize money, Boltrees is busy rewriting the Greyhound record books. But it hasn't always been easy. In fact, last year, immediately after winning the 86 Sandown Cup, it was feared he may never race again. A couple of days later, he was lame in his kennel and um, turned out to be a fractured hop, broken hop. And we had him to Melbourne and uh, he was operated on. And the operation was actually called pin firing. They sort of weld the bone together. 
joined the bones back together. And um, we rested him for about six weeks. We had it re-X-rayed and the crack was still showing. Uh, so we're back to square one again and he was done again and still hadn't strengthened properly after another two months. So he was done a third time. And um, about six months later, he made his reappearance on the racetrack. So he missed six months after last year's Sandown Cup. He didn't race for nearly six months. Which in itself, to come back the way he has is, is an extraordinary feat, isn't it? Yeah, well, we thought, you know, if he loses eight or 10 lengths from the injury, you know, he may still have to pick up a race or two, but nowhere near as the promised he'd shown before he got hurt. But uh, he's, he's improved eight or 10 lengths as he's running much quicker times and just keeps on winning. Getting a bet on Boltrice hasn't always been easy. He started at odds on from 18 of his last 20 starts. In fact, one night in his hometown, he started at 50 to one on. But of course, he won. And it hasn't been just in Sydney and Melbourne that he's captured the imagination of the racing public, but right around Australia. Like it's amazing, like we went to Tasmania and won there, and uh, they want us back there, and they great write-ups in the paper about him. They reckon they've never seen anything like it at that track before, and he broke the record there that night. Uh, he fell out eight lengths behind him in Tassie and still got up and won and broke a track record. Well, the people were amazed by that, and they want us back. We've had offers to go to Perth. Uh, invitations go to Adelaide. Like they, they just sort of want to see him race. So it does amaze me a bit that they do, but uh, I think it's just like a dog coming from behind is a bigger thrill and a dog out in front leading all the way. And I think they just, the crowd get a bit of a thrill about it. And that's exactly what Boltrice did from box one in Sydney last night to take out the Association Cup. We pick up the race with the Wonder Dog in red and running almost last. Rachel Pride, the inside. Boltrice is 15 off the speed from Lucky Draw and Baguette Babe. New Style Miss is still eight in front of Tony's comic Joe's Power. Boltrice and Rachel's Pride as they turn. New Style Miss is giving a grand exhibition. Boltrice is starting to unwind. New Style Miss in front. Boltrice has got it. Boltrice rushed to the lead and the champion wins the money. Bowl Trees wins by five. Tony's comic got up for second from New Style Miss. What a phenomenal run the winner. Yes, uh, an amazing performance and Bill Collins is still down in Melbourne and Bill, he really is a wonder dog, isn't he? He is a wonder dog, Sandy, and that's what we need in, uh, in all sports. We need it now in greyhound racing, we've got it, but in all sports we need that champion to get the crowds back to, to witness them. It must also, Bill, I think, on the other hand, be a candidate to give us all heart attacks the way that he does race because he would appear to lope along and then suddenly the foot goes on the accelerator and it's virtually good night nurse. Yes, those people who continually lay odds on him, there's a great dive for the bar and whiskies are ordered <laughs> as soon as the race is over. What a great story. What a great greyhound. One of my favourites, Bold Trees. Four heats of the Bold Trees tonight, Simone, but also eight heats of the Melbourne Cup, which is a $1 million series. $650,000 going to the winner next Saturday night. But let's just take a trip down memory lane back to 1986, and it was Legendary Kid. Racing the Cup and Euler Boxwell on the inside. Pacific Seagull very slow to begin and Legendary Kid is going to go over to the inside and lead. Euler is second. Straight Hassle out wide as they turn out of the straight. Pulsing Jewel went to the outside. Bright Judge and also Street Hassle were flattened. Down the back it's Legendary Kid leading by four lengths. Euler second. Three lengths away Pacific Seagull. Three lengths further back is Swift Laser. Right out of it then Bright Judge followed by Pulsing Jewel. Street Hassle but Legendary Kid as well clear up the straight and it's Legendary Kid for the Melbourne Cup. Legendary kid, two and a half lengths. Second in a photo, Pacific Seagull. Swift laser the outside. 
And it's certainly lovely having those memories of racing that's been going on forever and ever. And the next man, next guest on our show, John Hutchison, um, wants to ensure that we have racing going forever and ever as well. And he joins us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Simone. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, Great to have you back on Cracking the Codes. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with you, John, and haven't heard your advertisements on RSN this week for the Companions and Pets Party, um, you've taken that step into politics to try and preserve and protect racing, farming, companion pets and animals, haven't you? We have, Simone. It was just interesting. I was listening to the Bold Trees um, interview that you just played. If you deep, uh, dive deep into the, um, the realms of the archives at RSN, you will find an interview that I did about 20 years ago, which aired on At The Boxes uh, with Norm McCulloch about uh, Bold Trees. It was a fabulous interview, so uh, you can put your, put your searching boots on and go looking for that. It'll be a, it's a great interview. But yes, look, the Companions of Pets Party, we, we want to see racing of all codes survive. And, and as you well know, there's... Um, the Animal Justice Party out there and the Greens, they want to shut down, they want to ban uh, all codes of racing. And we just don't think that's right. We, we know the expertise in the animal care, uh, that is, it's world-class care. We just heard from one of your previous guests about, you know, treating uh, horses in, in such difficult um, conditions with floods, etc. And And our trainers are just so expert and, at animal care and and that's why we, we think that uh, racing has a part to play in our society. It's, it's extremely um, well-managed, uh, world-class care for the animals, and the integrity of, of uh, all the, the three codes is just amazing, you know, with the rehoming programs for our retired horses and dogs. And we just want to make sure that that continues forever. So just to layman's terms, this whole thing, when, when, when uh, voters go to the ballot box next week, John, uh, as far as logistics and actions go, what 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 are they? What would you like them to do regarding the companions and pets party, and obviously the uh, animal justice parties on the ballot box as well? What 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 are you hoping that the the voters will do when they go to the ballot box next week? Well, we're, uh, Maddie, we're hoping that the people who do support racing and farming and and their choice to own a pet in their life. But if you on the big ballot paper, which is for the upper house, it's a, you can't miss it. It's the longest paper. Just search for the box that the Companions and Pets Party is in above the line and put a one in that. That's all you have to do. And that will help protect your racing and your farming and your choice to own a pet for, for long term because we, we don't want to change government. We're not planning to be government. We'll support the government of the day. But we want to have a voice for our animals out there and for our racing and for our farming and for our pet people. It's just that that's what needs to happen. So that's all they need to do. Big, long paper. Find the box above the line that the Companions and Pets Party is in, and stick a one in it, and uh, you know, and uh, we'll be there to protect you. In this day and age, John, I, I think people uh, they, they like to support a, a, a party that particularly is is animal friendly, and um, I think uh, myself and quite a few other people have caught up uh, uh, incorrectly, wrongly uh, have may have put in a vote for the animal in justice party and and that's the thing they're not actually there to support uh racing and greyhound racing they want to get rid of it so it's important that a people are aware of that and they can support um your party because the preferences are very important for who does get into government and we want to see uh, racing continue uh, of all three codes to be, be a part of that so companions and pets is the way that we should be heading you're exactly right dan and look all we ask is that some people in the racing industry think it won't happen, but these parties do have a policy to ban all racing. So t- 
talk to your friends. And if, if every person listening to this broadcast today spoke to 10 friends and asked them to speak to another 10 friends, we'd get to half a million people and we would make sure that racing continues forever. Good on you, John, and good luck at the ballot box next week. Thanks very much, Matty. Thanks, John man. Hutchison Thanks. there. Thanks, Dan. Chairperson of the Companions and Pets Party. We're going to take a break and come back with uh, Henry Dwyer, who's got this, going to tell us the lovely story about the, uh, what are we calling them? The King Island Seven, who have made their way to King Island. The and Magnificent a, Seven? The Magnificent Seven. I thought there seven. was only six. No, there's there's six, but there's one other who's hitched oh, a ride. So okay. we'll try and work out the identity of the seventh Matt, horse might on be, the boat. Might what, be Matt Stewart. Might be a stowaway. But appropriately based in, in Ballarat, of which it's Cup Day today. And as we go to the break, on the other side of Henry Dwyer, this is the 2000. 2004 Ballarat Cup won by Just the Part. Straightening up in the cup towards the 350 and Just the Part is two in front of Irish Crusader. Back to the inside of Zao Spur. Two and a half away Diamond Jake followed by Jackaday. Just the Part towards the 150. He's still over length in front. Irish Crusader trying hard on the outside. Murphy getting something out of Just the Part. He's in front. He's holding on. He's done the job. He's won the cup. Just the Part. A long neck to Irish Crusader. Tight third. Maybe the Berger out wide from Zesman. Not that far off them came our spur. Then Jackaday Lodger. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Yeah, good morning again, everyone. And welcome back to Cracking the Codes. Um, I think it was back in August when I became aware of the the consequence of the annual general meeting of the King Island Racing Club. And it was a really bleak... Uh, Facebook notice that they put out about it was a, basically a plea for help because they were literally running out of horses and humans and uh, the famous uh, King Island Racing Festival that had been going back to 1892 was in jeopardy and it required uh, action and support and uh, horses and uh, and jockeys and all sorts of things and Henry Dwyer he's not going to admit or sort of own up to being sort of the face of the resurrection but he pretty much is and he's done an amazing job and to the point where seven horses set out on a barge from Port Welshpool yesterday uh, to get to uh, King Island it was a reasonably long trip that they've got there and they're the first horses to take part in the um in the upcoming festival and there's more to come as well so it's going to be amazing and there's a special race day called the Miners Rest Cup race day on January 21 and all the all the superstars Victorian racing are competing in it and there's a lot to explain as Henry joins us. G'day Henry. G'day Matty, how are you going? Yeah good, they all made it across the straight uh, without any hassles? Uh, they did, they did, as you said it was quite an arduous trip for them um, left Ballarat at 7am and probably arrived at King Island um, 24 hours later to be honest so I think we lost one yesterday, actually, for a little bit. Um, Jimmy Taylor rung me. I was a bit worried. The, the one you spoke of, the seventh horse, which was a horse we put on as a sub, just in case one of the, the six didn't quite get to the post for the 21st of January. Um, evidently, he hadn't seen a kangaroo before, and he took a bit of fright and jumped a fence and ended up a few k's down the road. But uh, all's well that ends well, and uh, we got him back. Hope a lobster doesn't scare him then once he gets to King Island. It's only the, the King Island Brie and the lobsters in King Island pretty much. So uh, uh, that area too, when you were talking about the barge going over, that, that area between Victoria and King Island, Henry, uh, for a period there it was known as the uh, the, the Bermuda Triangle of, the, of, uh, of Bass Strait. So just for a second there you had me worried. <laughs> information that could have been useful before I put them on the boat <laughs> Probably better off that you didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually a pretty good crossing. I um, They were a good good bunch, actually, the, the, the blokes on the boat. Um, our truck was sandwiched between um, cattle trailers and all sorts going on there, but um, they looked after them well and they um, yeah, texting me along the way and 
uh, yeah, they all arrived safe and sound, and it was a, a really easy crossing. Apparently, there was you know calm seas and blue skies and uh, everything you want in a uh, nautical crossing, from what they tell me. Henry, it's an amazing concept that you've come up with. You've brought horses that have been tried and um, probably not overly talented on the digital platform, um, and then you're taking them over there for this King Island Cup and with some mates and some big trainers and it's certainly all of a sudden drawn some media attention and got people involved, even the tracking of the boat, the ferry across um, Bass Strait there. It is Bass Strait, isn't it? Yeah. It is Bass Strait, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you just give us a bit of a, a snapshot of how this all came about? Because it probably for some may have seemed like a real harebrained idea, but now it's actually happened. It's it's quite amazing and exciting. Yeah. Probably snowballed a bit, to be honest. It started as a small concept. I suppose back to the very beginnings, it was three or four years ago, I um, had a call from a bloke on King Island, a bloke named, named John Quealand, who I hadn't come across, and he wanted to buy a share in a horse. And, and that was all fine, obviously. And then the next horse I bought, he took a share in. And the next horse I bought, he took a share in. And I thought I'd better do a bit of background checking on him, given he was spending a bit of money, and I was hoping I'd get paid. And so... I rang around a bit and got the background on Quilo and we've um, become pretty good friends and he's, he invited me down probably three or four years ago for the races and we had a great weekend down there. Uh, met all the locals and all the um, all the celebrities down there and I, I met Jimmy Taylor on the last day who's on the committee of the turf club there and, and he's one of the local trainers, probably him and Clodge Keys, who's Kenny Keys' brother. They're probably the two bigger trainers there. Um, and I said to Jimmy, I said, oh, you'd probably be one of those $130 a day men, you know, for your training fees. And that's where he said, oh, no, we do it for the love down here. And I said, oh, well, that sounds good. I've got a lot of slow horses that probably need a home for the love and I don't have to pay training fees for, so I'll send one back next year. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, they all say that, they all say that. So he was surprised when one turned up and um, let it rip. Reggie ran down there. He won his first start down there by 12 lengths and probably would have won the King Island Cup by the same margin. And then COVID sort of curtailed all that, but... Um, yeah, that was sort of whetted our appetite, and I, I sort of jetted all the boys up this year. We were going to go down to King Island in January for a trip away, so um, all the guys from Ballarat. And, and um, yeah, it sort of, um, we thought, well, we're going down. Why don't we sort of start publicising a bit and making a bit of a concept of it? And, and when Reggie was down there two years ago, he, he was racing for, for, for charity, really. It didn't really interest us taking the prize money home from the trainers down there. So he, um, he probably won 12 or 14 grand down there that went to the uh, the volunteer ambulance service, and they bought a couple of new defibrillators and that sort of stuff, and and that was good, and they all appreciated it. And um, as I said, I sort of we wanted to go back this year, so we thought we better do something similar, and, and here we are. Just before we talk about the the trainers involved and the and the English online auction, and I love the fact that there was a five thousand dollar cap, so no one could buy a sneakily fast horse. So. Uh, <laughs> But it was a consequence, I think, really, of that AGM they had down there last August where it was just a desperate scene because the local trainers were getting older, um, people were leaving the island and not coming to the island post-COVID, the horse population, and this is harness horses as well, were running out and they were down to about 12 horses. So they were literally uh, withering on the vine, weren't they, Henry? Uh, They were to an extent. Um, Look, I think it's probably a bit... um I suppose self-indulgent to say that you know that it wasn't going to happen. I think they would have it would have happened anyway, but it might even be an inevitability that it, that it doesn't happen at some stage in the future. I suppose it's just the, the nature of the beast with a lot of things these days. Volunteers are hard to come by, and I suppose rural areas like that, um, kids are moving away, and you just don't have that next generation coming through. And 
this is just a way to, to maybe sustain it for as long as possible, hopefully. And, it's, you know, it's, it's a great product they've got down there. It's just sort of unknown. Um, and I discovered it, and I just wanted to share that. So um, I think the more exposure we can get for it, the better. And that's that's where having some bigger trainers involved obviously helps and, and spreading the message on social media. And, um, look, we don't want to make it the biggest and, and boldest and brashest thing because I think that probably ruins the experience. It's not about that. It's about King Island being quite laid back and, you know, you've got all your good crayfish and your, your beef and your cheese, you've got all your good produce and just a relaxing, good old-fashioned time at the races. And if you have, you know, 5,000 people there, you don't get that and they can't cater for it. So we've probably got a cap of, you know, each each of us trainers are taking six people with us and six of our, you know, friends and clients and then each sponsor's taking a few people with them and we're, we're going to end up with, you know, 80 or 100 people down there and we're going to have a Calcutta on the Friday night and a you know, a, a deal with the footy club on the Saturday night, play some golf on the Friday morning and the Sunday and just experience and enjoy everything the island's got to offer. And Henry, of the seven horses that have gone over, is there anything there that's shown you some talent that you may have tapped into that wasn't there previously? No, no. They're a <laughs> very, very, very slow bunch of horses, but I think that's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter because they're all competing against each other. You could have... <laughs> You know, the sixth-sellest horse in Australia, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. So, um, hence the, the cap. We wanted to make it as cheap as possible because at the end of the day, the more we spend, the less that goes to, to um, you know, less of the sponsor's money that goes to charity at the end of it. So, we bought um, six horses uh, very cheaply. And um, and then you drew them out of a hat in the, at the at the Red Lion Hotel, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, we had a, our, um, our uh, gala lunch the other day at the Red Lion. We had a couple of snitzels and a um, couple of steaks and um, threw them out of a hat and tried to brainstorm a few more ideas for the weekend and get it all together and that's all happened. So, um, yeah, Calvin's got the most expensive one, which was probably in fitting. Um, he, he likes the finer things in life and the rest of us have got the, the also-rens. But, um, no, they're going to one trainer each down there. Uh, there's six trainers on the island, I think, including Chris Diplock and Shane Bottomley who are going over next week. But they'll all have one each and they'll be our... Um, you know, they'll be uh, doing it for us down there. They'll be racing in our colours. Um, Highlands have kindly agreed to make a set of colours for us each with the sponsors' logos on them. So at the moment, we've got IRT, International Racehorse Transport, Ladbrokes and um, Sweat and Stud locked in for uh, three of the six sponsorship slots. We're speaking to, you know, three other people who we're pretty confident will come on board. So, yeah, it's all coming together. And just the support we've had even in recent days since it's blown up a bit, you know, a brewery in Adelaide rung us up Pirate Life and they're sending down some um, pellets of beer, which they'll just donate and the club can sell them and, and make an earn there. And, you know, Southern Cross will send down a couple of pellets of horse feed to make that a bit cheaper and, once again, increase the margin for what goes into the prize money, which ultimately goes to the charities. Ocean Dunes will tip in golf for all the travelling party and um, Taz Racing's paying for the freight. So it really is a, a community effort and... Um, you know, if this doesn't get King Island going, I don't know what will. Uh, look, I've been there once before. I called there one day, uh, Henry, quite a few years ago, and they had the mixed meeting with the gallops and the harness, but they had their harness cup. And what I remember vividly about being a wonderful, wonderful day and beautiful people, it was a stand-start race. So when they released the uh, strand from the stand-start, it pulled out the running rail and it wiped out the field. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it is pretty agricultural down there. The, you know, it's, it's terrific. The, the barrier attendants are all the local farmers, and you know they, they punch a few shoes on here and there. Whoever can, you know, do the barrier job, and um, it's all volunteers, and and that's what I love about, it. and that's what I like about racing, really, and what 
you know, my favourite part of being a horse trainer is going to those sort of carnivals. You know, we go to our Warnables every year and our Swan Hills and our Mildura's and, and all the rest of it. Oak banking years gone past and I just see this as a, as a, as a mini version of one of those with um, a more laid back nature and, um, you know, obviously a lot of support behind it to, to, to give back something to King Island. Absolutely. And it's worth pointing out that it's not all about the January 21 meeting. For those who are interested in going to King Island this summer, uh, I think there's almost a booked out aspect of the January 21 <clears throat> for the Miners' Rest Cup, the inaugural Miners' Rest Cup. But there's other meetings as well, January the 2nd, I think Australia Day. There's about four or five. So... Um, I've spoken to Audrey Hamer on the island. Uh, H, who uh, says, look, if, if, if a demand uh, outweighs what we're able to provide, then they might even look at things like the local footy oval. You might be able to pitch a tent. Some of the local farm owners might let a room or something like that. So what's the best way? Uh, I'm sure King Island Racing Club Facebook website is probably the best way. for Henry, for listeners who are going, wow, let's get part of this, uh, I think the January 21 might be difficult, but there are obviously other options for King Island, aren't there? And it might be better to sort of spread it over the summer festival rather than everyone trying to get to the one meeting? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, probably indicatively, there's probably 150 beds for, for, for visitors on King Island at any one time. And, and we've probably booked up 70 or 80 of them, and, and that's all we've got our hands on. And there's obviously a couple of good golf courses over there, which um, you know a lot of people travel over the place, so they're already booked. Um, we, yeah, there's, there's seven race meetings over the, the two months. So I think part of the one good aspect of what we're doing is it'll filter through to the other meetings because uh, people, you know, if people can find a bed on for the January 21, then good luck to them. They're more than welcome to join in the fun. But I just can't see it happening. And I just think if too many people are there and, and they haven't got facilities and the volunteers to cater for it, it just probably dilutes it. So, um, what will happen is for people, they follow on Facebook, they, they watch the season, it's all live-streamed. Um, there's six, six other meetings other than our meeting. And, um, you know, you book your flights online, you book accommodation on Airbnb or, or through various travel websites or tourism websites and just organise it yourself because it's a bloody good weekend um, if you can tee it up and it's easy and it's not expensive. So I'd just be saying get to the King Island Cup meeting or get to the Boxing Day meeting. Um, you know, they're all good fun. I tell you what, if Henry Dwyer gets sick of setting his alarm at two thirty in the morning, he could become a travel guide. Very indeed, easy. you've sold me. Such a good organizer. Good on you, Henry. Well done, mate. I know you don't want to take uh, as much credit as as is owed to you, but uh, I know very well how much you've done behind the scenes. So well done to you, and well done to everyone else, and best of luck on. I've got a feeling I might have snuck onto the uh, the invitation list in January 21 as You're well. part so. of the Magnificent Seven. Yes, part of the no Magnificent Seven. No without punch. No, that's right. Good on you, Henry. Thanks for uh, filling right, us in. And uh, as you say, any listeners who uh, are keen to jump on board, I think start with the King Island Racing Club Facebook page and then work your way through from there. Good on you, mate, and best of Oh, quickly. Got a winner today at Penshurst or Morfordville Parks? Uh, no. <laughs> Another no. <laughs> Sounds like they might end up on King Island. Ballarat. A couple of Penshurst need further. And the one in Adelaide, the seat, but there's a couple of handy ones in there, so she might struggle a bit. All right. Well, good luck anyway. Good on you. Thanks, Matty. Cheers. Henry Dwyer, it's it is it's amazing how a little spark becomes a an inferno, isn't well, it? Birdsville, how did Birdsville come about? It's probably more remote, uh, Birdsville, and with all the floods and that they've had there over the last few years, it's probably easy to get to King Island. So it 
they don't have beds in Birdsville, so maybe it'll work here. It might yeah, be a bit you, cooler. You'll you have to bring a jumper. You'll plane with a tarp over it. Yeah. Hey, guys, great show. Well done. Yep. And uh, look Good forward to, to catching up next week. Good to have you back. Thank yep. you so much. And we'll be back uh, shortly with uh, Saturday Race Day morning. It is Railway Stakes Day. Some great horses have won the Railway Stakes, but maybe this was the best back in the 2000s. Northerly, the first to head for home. Three quarters of a length from Amram. Around them goes Old Comrade, followed by Sister Patricia. Then behind them, Corporate Bruce, but two hundred to go. Northerly, the leader. Old Comrade down the outside. Northerly shows the way from Old Comrade. Sister Patricia, Corporate Bruce and Amram. But Northerly, Danny Miller pumping away. And Northerly wins the railway from Old Comrade. Lizzie Longlegs flashed up on the inside. 